is expecting you. Hello, and welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today, we will be discussing Book 2, Episode 17, Lake Lao Guy. Today on my panel, I have Charles. Hello. And Corey. Well met. Awesome. Before we begin, let's talk a little bit about some new content that you will be seeing from Thoughts from Aunt Wu. Um, if you check out our YouTube page, you will see the first of our long-form video essays about random topics. This one covering Avatar The Last Airbender and tonal consistency uh, within episodes themselves. Uh, it, was the, it should be the start of a multi-part series on tonal consistency, uh, both on the macro and micro level. So if you're interested in kind of hearing something similar to this, but um, in a video format and as a little bit less meandering, but specifically focusing on one single topic, uh, check that out. You can check us out, our YouTube channel, search Thoughts from Aunt Wu on YouTube, and you'll see it there. You'll also find links for that on our website, thoughtsfromauntwu.com. So that should be fun. But without further ado, let's get into this episode, Lake Lao Guy. So, uh, Charles, why don't you start us off with your initial thoughts on this episode? Um, I... I thought I remember it being pretty good, and I I think that recollection holds up for the most part. But uh, obviously, if anybody's been trying to follow us week by week, we've been uh, on a kind of hiatus for <laughs> for a bit. Uh, so I don't know. Well, here's the thing: you we we have, but we technically won't have because we're like three episodes. Because of the way time the time jump's gonna work, this'll this'll come out in success, succession with three other episodes. So even though we have been on a hiatus, in reality, when you're listening to this, it's not gonna feel like that. So oh, all right. Uh, pretend I did. I mean, uh, because gonna, of the I'll cut that. I'm gonna cut that out in post, Charles. Right. Uh, no, um, because I because of last week's episode, I, I feel like this felt better than it was since I just happened. To, to watch them back to back straight up and Appa's Last Days is not not the quality of Avatar we like to see um that being said I remember like as a teenager thinking that this episode was like oh there's so much depth and like this is where all of the secrets are starting to come out about or at least our protagonists are starting to learn the secrets about Bossing Say. And then coming back to it, it's like, well, eh. I mean, there's poignant moments, which, you know, are really great. But then there's moments that are just like, well, they happened. And this is just like, okay. Uh, filling in details. I don't know. It's good relative to TV, but it wasn't as good as I remembered, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Corey, how about you? This is like the first Jet episode I don't like, like, per se. Like you say, the first as though there's been like twenty of them. There's there's been this is the second one. Wait, aren't there? No, well, the third one. All Jet, right, well, fine. Never mind. No, I'm not. Yeah, oh, I'm that's... sorry. Well, I, I I the way you probably heard me is Jet focused. I, I like mm-hmm. Jet the character just as a whole. This is an episode where I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, it's a good episode. It's one of the darker episodes. Um, uh, I feel like there's not. I, it, it really again it follows in suit about just the whole brainwashing 
but the Earth Nation, uh, the uh, Earth Nation does and all that stuff. It's, it's Kingdom. Kingdom, whatever. It's just, it's one of those, it's one of those episodes that like needed to happen. But like again, I think it's just as a, also as a means just to like finish arcs. Um, I didn't really care for this episode when I was younger. Um, seeing it again, it, it was a, it was a good episode. It's just. Again, it's not one of my favorites, and it, there are some problems I have with it. Yeah, so I, I really agree with Charles here. I, I remember this episode, like, pretty well, and, like, I remember this as, like, one of those really cool episodes that just, like, does all this stuff, and it's, it's really awesome. And don't make it wrong, this is a good episode, and there are, there are really cool elements to it, and I, and I really like what this, what this episode means for, for Long Fang, for the Dai Li, for Jet, uh, and all that stuff. That being said, I think this episode's paced kind of weirdly. Um, the first half of it is, like, really slow and, like, nothing really happens. And then it gets, like, it, then suddenly it's moving, like, really fast. And you're kind of out of nowhere. Like, it's this giant battle and it's like, whoa, everything's going crazy. And then, like, it all kind of comes together with, with Appa. Um, I think that on some level it's, it's interesting because I think this episode is good. And I think this episode is both helped and hurt from the... The fact that it's the end of the missing Appa plot. On one hand, it's such a breath of fresh air to be like, oh my god, the missing Appa plot is over. We're done. We don't need to ever think about this again, which is like really a really good feeling. But at the same time, because I don't like the missing Appa plot from conception back in the desert all the way to now, like it's like, well, this is the ending of that. So the ending of a story I don't particularly like is kind of like, well, okay, more more of this stuff. Um, I think this is probably the best episode of that of that trio, except for like the desert. Um, I mean, I guess you could argue Serpent's Pass, but Serpent's Pass isn't really a missing Oppa episode. Um, but you know, whatever. It's you know, obviously that's a great episode. Um, and like I said, I, I like this episode a lot. There are, there are certain elements in it that are really really good. However, I, I think the pacing definitely drags it down, and there are some pseudo problematic elements that I think we'll we'll get into um, as we get into right now. So. Let's get into our episode discussion now. Um, one thing I want to just start with is I think the music in this episode is really, really on point. I think that they they did such a great job of capturing the music of the Dai Li and, and now the music in this case of Lake Lao Guy. And just you have that like little creepy, uh, you know, like progression that just you, you just you hear it and you just kind of you, you know something is something is off. Um, and we, we've been seeing so much within Bossing Se of like, wow, this city is something's off about this city and we just get it's another great example of it but i think the music like does a really good good about this i'd really i'll really tip my hat hat to uh to jeremy zuckerman on this one uh, i think he captures the the mood of the episode perfectly yeah it's a, it's a slow arc creeping music as you say it's like more does it make you sit right and it, it like that's like something i always had a like not really like a problem with but it's like something that like it plays into the whole, like, every, like, do you have, like, the feeling that, like, everyone is, like, like, brainwashed in, like, the Earth Kingdom, or no? I don't think everyone is. I think that a, sel a select few are, and they, they brainwash people that they either need to, or specifically, like, the Judies and stuff like that, to sort of, they, they, they brainwash enough to kind of keep the the piece. I mean, I guess we can just kind of get into this right now. I mean, I, I, we talked about this a little bit back in City of Walls and Secrets, but I think that 
you you can sort of ask a legitimate question of like how well could this type of society actually function um and obviously it's like a very primitive orwellian society you know where like you're kind of repressing the truth of a of a war and, and kind of especially the it seems as though the upper class is like completely controlled while the lower classes probably do have more freedom like the what what's the what's the name of the, the poor people in in 1984 um, oh. I've actually never read 1984. I know it. You should read 1984. Good book. 1984 is really good. Also, probably really easy to get nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, Alright, whatever. But, like, it, it definitely does feel like that, where, like, the upper rank is, like, everyone's under constant... Oh, was it proletariat? Yeah. Oh, you got inner party, outer simple. party, and proletariat. Yeah. So it definitely feels like you have, like, the upper ring, which is your inner party, your middle ring, which is the, you know, your outer party, and then the lower ring, which is the proletariat, where it's probably more freedom down in the lower ring, but the, the upper ring is, like, everyone's under complete surveillance. But you do kind of wonder, like, how exactly you can keep this kind of quote-unquote secret of the of the war alone um so what do you do you, do you guys think that that's a little too much or do you think it, it's fine for the way it's presented i i again i i told you this during the the walls of secrets episode i i view this kingdom as like north korea like in every way shape and form like do, do you, again, do you, do you disagree with that assessment? Yes, I do. I don't think it's North Korea. I I, I really think. I mean, I, I think that they're just like straight going for Orwell. I really think that's what the that's where what Bossing say is based on. But the difference between this and and North Korea is one. I think that there's a very big difference with the fact that power is centralized within someone who is in is dark and in the shadows compared to something like North Korea where it's built on a cult of personality around a single leader. Um, I think those two things are very different. And also, I think that it's very opposite in that North Korea attempts to act as though it's in this sort of constant intercontinental struggle against the United States battling for world supremacy, while on some level, the Earth Kingdom is saying the opposite, where it's like, we're not at war, we are, everything is fine, everyone is safe, we don't even talk about the fact that the, that we are in fact, we are at war. So I think, it, I, I don't know if North Korea is the best comp, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of, like, it's a dictatorship where they're trying to essentially control thought, but I don't, I wouldn't go quite North Korea. Um, I can't really think of a good world, real world example for this. Because, like, every um, time exactly. I see, like, Julie, like, show up, she reminds me of, like, like a uh, like tour guide that would go on like a, a guided tour in like North Korea. I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, I think that you can, you can see parallels on that with the sort of, you know, these, these sort of tour guides that are, you know, brainwashed to sort of say very specific things. But I think that like, it's, it's hard for me to remove like the, the Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un factor in what is North Korea when that just doesn't exist here. I mean, we literally, the earth King is a, is a puppet figurehead. There is no, like Long Fang is not this like is not dear leader. Long Fang is the sort of master manipulator behind things. Right. Well, you could. I mean, make a comparison then to um, early two thousands Russia, when Putin wasn't that's technically. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't technically president, but in effect. But he was. Yeah. I mean the 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 place I would go is 
for you, Corey, is is Longfang not Palpatine before he's risen to power? No. I, maybe. But he at at some point in this he does go do it. Did you not catch that? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, now that you now that you mention it, it's actually bad. The, the, the diction is almost perfect. It really does sound like he's specifically like like channeling some power. Right, would you there. say the Earth Kingdom is like the Empire? No, because the Empire is centralized, and the Earth Kingdom is the exact opposite. It's completely decentralized. I'm sorry. I mean the the city is this city specifically. Do I think that? No, I mean it's hard to do that because I think that all any Star Wars comp says that the Empire is the Fire Nation. Yeah, because it is. I mean, it's what it's built. I mean, it, it, you know, these stories are you know pretty similar for a reason. I, I don't know. I, I think that it's it's there. I think that it, on some level, like Bossing say, is a kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of different dystopian ideals. I don't think it's like specifically one. I mean, I think you're right that there's sort of elements with like the Judy thing does feel a lot like. This kind of the tour guides in North Korea and something like that, while the long fang element feels more, you know, pretty different from something else. And then, you know, it, 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 I think there are, I think it's kind of a combination of a couple of different things. Um, speaking of Judy, one thing I'll say is I, I really like her, her initial performance when she first knocks on the door. Um, I, I think that her, her speech patterns are really well crafted. I, I always love how she says every one of their names when she opens up, we opens the door and is like, hello, Aang and Sokka and Katara and Toph. Like, I love that she like, it just feels, it feels like one, she's definitely like more brainwashed now compared to what she, when she was in City of Walls and Secrets. And I just, I really, I like the way they craft her dialogue to sort of a, let you know something is off, as we've sort of seen with every, with all of this. It's kind of just more signaling on that. But also to kind of, I don't know, it, it just, for me, it like highlights more of the weirdness of all this. Because like no one would answer the door and be, or open the door and be like, hello, and then list everyone's names. I mean, they'd say, hey, how's everyone doing? You know, my favorite, that led to my favorite part. It's where like Aang like blows up on her. And then, like, he's like, I'm done following the rules. And then Toph is like, oh, we're done breaking the rules. And then blows the entire wall Let's out. Let's break some rules. And then blows the apartment That's actually, out. like, my favorite scene in this entire episode. <laughs> Wait. Yeah, that's good. No one likes the... I mean... Uh, oh, did I skip over the posters too quickly? Well, I mean, that's fun, too, but... I... Oh, and also, that, now that we're going backtracking, the, the, I, I just I wish there was an Iroh tea shop that existed in real life. Like I really Jasmine do. Dragon. Well, we haven't gotten there yet. We were that's that's kind of the next thing we're gonna do. Um. I guess yeah. I guess we can talk a little bit about kind of the the Iroh Zuko of the whole thing. Um, and I think we'll, we'll maybe we'll we'll kind of put that self-contained and kind of do the whole the entirety of it. I first, I mean, obviously, it's really nice to see something working out for Iroh and like hard work and great tea and. He's noticed, and obviously, you know, it's 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 really it's really great to it's great to see like uh, uh, Iro be like you know, you know, stating like you know it's a, a dream of his to own his own tea shop and just like how exuberant exuberant he is. Well, great, um, great tea is its own reward, and like him being like just that. Do I even get to name it? Like you can just feel like there's so much excitement on his part, and for like this man who you know we've talked about this season. I mean. Uh, was it you, Charles? Were you the one who, who said at the very beginning of the season that you thought there was a possibility Iroh had nothing to live for and was like eating berries as like a subtle? Eh, at this point, what does it matter? Yeah, I think like 
around the um Duco alone episode, I think. Yeah. I I'm pretty well, sure. Well that no, that was actually the first like that was the second episode of of book two. Because that's that's all the way back when they initially steal the uh the ostrich words. I okay. Then yeah, I I think I said something like that around this point. I mean around that point yeah. it was like I didn't believe that Iroh was, like, living for anything and he was just going with the flow. Because if he actually wanted to exert effort, there's obviously, you know, given the end, how we know the story ends, there's a lot of things Iroh could do and he yeah. could have done. Yeah, and just the fact that we've gone from there, like, even though I, I, I don't I don't think there was consensus on our part that that was necessarily true, but you can definitely tell, like, Iroh's kind of gone from this, like, pretty low state and is, like, just like how excited he is at, 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 at things going well. And then to kind of turn it around where, you know, Zuko is like seeing this success and is like, I don't want this to be my life. Like, you know, this is, this isn't what, like, this isn't my destiny. And, you know, Iroh kind of like, A, like saying to him, like one, like there's, it's fine. Like, just like, you know, comfort and prosperity. Like what else do you need in life? Like that's perfectly reasonable to live for. Um, but I also like, it's it just a, it's another one of those great just, uh, juxtapositions where you can see like Iro like embracing this new life and like I could live like this and like yeah I mean we can you know we we know that Iro has other things going on and in the end he's going to you know take eventually take back Bossing Say and all that stuff but like this is one of the reasons why I don't actually buy into the the whole Grand Iro Grand Lotus conspiracy where I I feel like Iro ends up in his position because of. Um, kind of combination of everything that happens as opposed to I genuinely believe that Iroh would have been completely content just owning a tea shop in Ba Sing Se and it's he's only forced into sort of back into world affairs later on because of circumstance. I think also to go on I think more so than him just enjoying being a tea maker and having a, a quiet life I think he also thinks this is good for Zuko like this is the thing that keeps that can keep Zuko in line and, and really help him normalize and let go of his anger and it could be like a meditative thing. So I think it's more, it's more of just like, I'm not saying he's being selfish, but I'm saying it's more than just about him and his happiness. No, I think that's true. Although I think that the opposite is true. I think that this is like the worst possible thing for Zuko because I think that at like, as bad as things are for Zuko throughout book two, when they're struggling, I think that on some level, if you're Zuko, you can kind of like justify it as like, well, yes, I'm struggling right now, but things will get better. I think that with this, like, with them, like, potentially opening a better tea shop and all that, things become, like, it, it, it's almost like as things begin to get better, for Zuko, it's actually getting worse because it's like, wow, it could just, we, this could just be our lives for the rest of our lives. Like, we don't necessarily need to continue to struggle to do anything. We can just open this tea shop and everything will be great. And, like, that's not what Zuko thinks that he wants. Like, he thinks that what he wants is a, you know, to be king or to be Fire Lord and... It, it kind of just it I feel like that it, it almost like makes it even worse for him the fact that they're starting to do well like it would almost be better for Zuko if like they were just continuing to struggle where he could see this as a temporary situation and not a long-term one I mean they address that pretty directly later in this episode yeah oh obviously yeah um so yeah I mean I guess we could just you kind of go right to there um, obviously great Iroh speech. Um, I mean, it's not like it's any, anything new here, but I do, I really do love the, the, you know, the time to start asking yourself the big questions. Who are you? And 
what do you want? And like the the fact that it like it's it's so it's so bizarre almost to, to, to have someone throwing in Zuko's face like what do you want? Like what is it that you want to do? Not what is it that people have told you to do, not what is it that you've believed about yourself, but what do you want out of life? And I think that just there's something like truly like like really powerful of Iroh who no, obviously knows Zuko so well to like almost throw it, throw this at him. Yeah. I mean, um, we know. And if you look forward to book three and especially after, um, after the eclipse, when they reconcile, you can tell that Iroh's been right the entire time, especially about Zuko. I was been right pretty much the entire time. Um, but we also know that Zuko's not in a place to accept that truth yet. Even though here, after the speech, Ira does convince Zuko to uh, relinquish being the blue spirit. Supposedly. <laughs> mm-hmm. They still like... I lost my train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I just think that it, it it's just I, throughout book two, which, you know, obviously, I mean, if you look at like Zuko's arc through book two, it's, you know, Zuko going from what was, you know, throughout book one, he is, you know, a main antagonist and there's really not that much redeeming about him, you know, other than maybe the Blue Spirit episode. And even in that case, like, he doesn't do it out of concern. He does it entirely out of selfish desire to capture Aang himself. And it's really like, you know, and then, but then book two happens and like, we're starting to see like a different side of him because he's no longer, like he's no longer in the same position that he was before. He's, he's clearly being, you know, continually pushed lower and lower and lower. And I think it's, it's very fitting that like Iroh, who's like very supportive to him throughout book two and like then they get separated they come back together um and it it does feel like like this is like this should be a turning point um and i really do like i won like i think it like it's very calculated on on iroh's part where like this is the moment where he's he's gonna really throw this out because like let's say like he had done this you know seven eight episodes ago back in like you know back when iroh and, and zuko first split up and I and Iroh was like, you know, throwing this kind of thing. I I don't think it has this kind of effect. So I think Iroh no, like really does know what he's doing with this one. And like we know, like we know from like looking at what happens next like, in the next episode, like even though it doesn't, it isn't the turning point for Zuko to actually turn in, like become, you know, to, to go to the good side. That you know, eventually we'll see. It is a major turning point, though, for him where, like, he does go through this big change and he does, you know, his his emotions and, and the way he acts does change and he becomes more decisive. So, like, even though it doesn't work the way Iroh, you know, necessarily would have wanted for Zuko to sort of change his outlook, but it is, um, like, we do we do actually see, you know, Zuko going through a pretty major crossroads here, um, not to, you know, spoil the title of the finale of this book. I always get sad when Iroh gets upset. Well, of course you do. So, one small gripe I have. Do you think that it's a little bit problematic that Zuko is able to just, like, 
capture one Daily agent and like get the information? No, because Zuko's literally Batman. Like that, they pretty much established him as Batman <laughs> as a vigilante. But don't you feel like I don't know an organization that is as like clandestine and brainwashy and like pretty like. I feel like the the Daily Agent should be a little bit like I don't know tougher and not talk as quickly. Well, Batman. Well, also let's be, be fair. They I don't think they've ever dealt with a vigilante before. Yeah. No, no, Batman. I'm not. I'm not. No, no, no. It's not the vigilante part. It's not the fact that the guy gets captured. Whatever, I can deal with that. I'm saying he ends up talking. Like I feel like Daily Agents. Like with everything we see from Long Fang, the number of steps he's taken to like keep this thing on the wraps to keep this the entirety of the Dai Li controlled and all that stuff. I feel like his agent should be a little bit, like, you know, tougher. Uh, true. And not break when, like, a guy holds a sword to their neck. But do you think they're really, like, do or die over, like, this city? Like, do you think when the chips are down, they actually are willing to, like, die or get tortured? Or do you think they're just afraid of the Earth King? I don't know, and I mean, I don't think we have a great answer to it, but it just, it's, it, it seems to me, for Long Fang, with the number of steps he's taken to, to, to sort of build this, this power, to build this power base, and his power base comes from these Dai Li agents, it, it seems like they should be a little bit more, like, almost, like, unbreakable, if that makes sense. It, it just, it, it feels to me like that... If you're going to have, like, it almost feels like if you're Long Fang, like, it's a pretty major oversight that you have, like, agents working for you who are not that hard to break under pressure. And, like, we see it again a little bit when um, um, when Iroh captures the one to tell them about where um, Ang Ang Katara are being, or where Zuko and Katara are being held um, in the finale, where it's like they capture him and threaten him a little bit and he pretty immediately starts talking. And I don't know. It just, from everything that they've set about, set up about the Dai Li, it just kind of feels like the Dai Li should be like this, you know, well, should be a little different. I don't know. If you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, um, the one near the end where Ira's doing the interrogation, I think if they have been briefed on who Ira is, that's pretty terrifying already. That's fair. I mean, I, 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 that's reasonable, and but then just the like with Zuko, Zuko one. one like... Yeah, but remember that spirits are a real thing in the Avatar world, and pretty much no one can do anything about them other than the Avatar. That's true. At this point, okay. everybody yeah. believes. Okay. Yeah, so if, you know, it's it's late at night, <laughs> you see some... Yeah, okay. Like, if he thinks it's actually the blue spirit, then yeah, it, I... Yeah, and I guess you could make an argument he's asking about the Avatar's bison, which is like, you know... Actually, like there is a there is like a spiritual thing there. Yeah, like so. I'm not saying okay. like yeah. you're right. If this was like a truly elite, you know, task force, they should be trained better, trained to resist interrogation. Almost like the uh, Soviet um, intelligence agencies of the past. Sure. Yeah. We also, you know, this is also a world where some people have ridiculous wartime or ridiculous battle reputations and also a world in which yeah. humans cannot fight certain supernatural or at this point in this universe uh, cannot fight yeah. certain you know supernatural events 
Yeah, you know, I I think you're right, and I think that's it, it, it's not a it's not a major critique at all. It's just it is one of those things that I was a little bit like I feel I don't know. It, it seems a little like it was a little easy for Zuko to just like find the bison, and then Iroh to just like follow him. But he's Iroh, so I don't care. Like I'm totally fine with that. I mean, you could read it the other way and be like, well, maybe this was actually part of the long con the entire time because uh, Long Fen figured, fuck it, if I can't have them here. Here's my other option: get the bison out and then get them away from my city. Just have them leave. Well, I think I, I yeah. Well, that I guess I guess that'll let us transition to the other side. So let's talk a little bit about Long Fang's like long con here because I really like it. Like I really like how Long Fang is sort of like controlling everything and and pulling these strings. And like I know I, I made the joke earlier of like the the Palpatine stuff, but I do think that there is a little bit to that here where you you can sort of like, I really like that he, very obviously, Jet was sent in, you know, was sent in as an agent. Um, but I almost, I, I think it's really, it was, like, it makes a lot of sense and it works well that, like, Jet doesn't, like, walk in and be like, I have the answer. I'll just lead you guys into this trap. But, like, they, they actually have to go through this whole process to, like, get the information. And I think that that is important because it'll, it actually forces them to, tr- like, allows them to trust Jet in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that the, the sort of, little bits of like jet shows up uh, he, you know he, he leads them to this warehouse which tells them where they are and then they realize oh no it's actually not true like you know um like jet has um like jet has been brainwashed but then they like unbrainwash him so they feel like he can trust his information but then he does end up leading them into a trap anyway um i just i like how like long fang has kind of put this together um and i also like that when, when they get in there like long fang is like is still kind of says like all right, if you agree to leave, I will give you the bison and you can go. And it's actually, like, it's actually Aang and Jet who are the um, aggressors, who are like, no, you're not going to bargain. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to attack. And I think that it's it's very interesting how, like, within all, and then on top of this, you have Long Fang. Like, I like that he's concerned about the optics of all this. Like, the Dai agent asks him, like, you know, should we take him out? And he's like, well, no, we, we can't just openly attack the avatar in the middle of Ba Sing Se, like that that would cause a lot of problems and would be really messy. Instead, let's we need to deal with this quietly in a way that is like as it's controlled as possible for ourselves. And I I, I think that while this episode isn't, you know, I, I there are some issues in the episode, I think Long Fang is this definitely the star of the show um, on this side of the plot. And I, I really like the way his plan works. However, Corey is our resident Palpatine uh, whisperer. So why don't you? I'll, I'm opening the floor up to you. How do you feel about my comparison here? That's funny. Actually, uh, while while you were going on your monologue, I rewatched the uh, scene towards the end where he's like, "Do it, do it now." And you're right. It's like straight out of Star Wars. <laughs> it's like so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's really good. He's like, I, I wouldn't call him like omniscient. Like Palpatine is someone that like was five steps ahead of everyone, including Jedi Masters, because of the Force plot point. Um, obviously, there's no Force in the Avatar universe, so he's just an intelligent guy who just has a grip on the city and everything. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, he he has control over everything up until the very, very end. He's a very good character, and, like, he's someone, like, in order to be in that position of power and, and have such a lock on your city, you, you need to be like him so like i wouldn't like again i wouldn't 
use the Palpatine comparison that much because again, there's a plot device in Star Wars that like makes Palpatine just that much better. But he's definitely up there. I'm just saying, like the the sort of manipulation of all of this, yeah. where like it it does feel like as as the kind of thing Palpatine would would do. Yeah, absolutely. Um. All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about Jet in this episode. Um, one thing that's interesting is I I do think they lay on the the Katara like Jet stuff a little hard, um, and maybe this is just me like hating the hating the Jet stuff from back in the day. Like you know, I mean, you can go back and listen to our our rant, my rants about that and how much I didn't particularly like Katara and that. And I don't know. I mean, it, it is obviously very like very clear but they play it up pretty hard like especially with like katara being like tell it to some other girl jet where like that's a very obvious choice that she's using the word girl there like very it, it definitely means something um and then you you know you have the top line about you know is was this guy your boyfriend you have Sokka's little throw in about um like oh maybe katara could kiss him um and it just i i think that they play it up a little it's a little much for me maybe this is just my catang you know senses you know alarm going off but i don't know i i don't i think they they, they overplay the, just a tad what are your thoughts at the end of like the power of friendship freeing him from the uh hypnotic cave i don't think the power of friendship does i will we'll, we'll get to that in a minute i want to i want to we'll get to the ending of jet but i want to just, just focus in on a little bit of the start mm. i mean I, I don't like that they... I agree, they play it up a bit, but at least from Katara's angle, it kind of makes sense. Because she's not been sub... Like, shitty things have happened to Team Avatar for sure, but at least from her and her personal life, she's not been subject to too many bet betrayals. Actually, none of them have, really. Um, That was one. And it's like the first, and it's pretty significant, so would have that kind of like residual impact if you see that person again yeah no i i understand why she's so upset and it's and it's not it's again this isn't awful it just i i think they just they really seem to lay it on like well yeah jet is is katara's love interest and they did play it up pretty hard back in in the in you know the jet episode you know the episode's called jet um but i i, I just i don't know i maybe again i think this is might just be me being like a cat ain't shipper who doesn't feel like I doesn't love seeing Katara and like clearly being put in kind of a romantic light with someone else. Um, and I can like, yeah, I'll cop to that is, you know, maybe not the most cogent of analysis, but I just think, I, I just think they overplay it just a, just a tad. You're probably right. I mean, but I, I'm not a cat ang shipper and I don't no, think you're a, you're, you're a zoo Kang shipper. Remember? Hell yeah. <laughs> no, Corey is a. We know Corey is a Zutara shiver, and I hate him for it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um. So one thing is, how how do you guys do? You guys are you guys okay with the the troops the truth seeing of Toph? Yeah. The what? I'm sorry. What what? Guitar, uh Toph being able to the human lie detector though, of Toph. Oh yeah, it's through through vibrations. Yeah, I love it. I'm just I'm yeah. curious. Oh, yeah. It's, it reminds me of uh, Daredevil. Almost, I think it's almost the exact same principle, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a reasonably common thing to 
way to see, so, so to speak. Tell if, you, if, she's, tell if she's so sensitive to vibrations, it, it makes perfect sense how she could sense even a, a heartbeat th- like through Earth. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, all right, now we can kind of move to the, the ending with Jet. Um, I, one thing, I, I do really like the Aang-Jet fight. I think it's a, it's a night. It's kind of a, I, I just like the way they animate. And all in all, I like some of the way they've animated a lot of the stuff in this episode. I mean, granted, I'm, you know, complimenting Avatar's animation. I'm not breaking any new ground here. But I do, I do like it. It's, I think it's a, really, it's a really good fight. And I, I, it is interesting. Like, we don't usually see that. We don't see that many of these, like, larger scale, like, a lot of people enclosing on them at once. Um, so it was kind of cool to see that. But, Corey, you kind of brought up earlier, like, what do you feel about, like, the power of friendship freeing Jet? I, I don't think that that's true at all. I, I think that the, the point that's being made here is that if you look at Jet's character, this is someone who's incredibly strong-willed, incredibly passionate, and who feel like obviously feels things like really, really deeply. And I don't think that it's a friendship frees him from the from the from the brainwashing. I think it's just the the memories of his 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 former life. And I mean, keep in mind, this is a guy who you know we don't actually know him before. The, the Fire Nation, but I think that we can make a pretty reasonable guess, was probably a relatively normal kid who is forced to watch his family, like, burn to death and becomes, like, this sociopath, you know, freedom fighter who who will literally do anything in order to, to get what he wants. And I think that it makes sense that when he's sort of, when, he, when those memories come back up to the surface, it kind of snaps him out of this this brainwashed control um, that Long Fang might have over him. Do you? I'm guessing you disagree, Corey. A little. I, I see it because, like you, you again. You, I. The the part where I agree with you on what you just said is when they brought up when Aang brought up him being like a freedom fighter, pretty much, and then he got the flashes of him and his movement. But then I got taken aback where Aang's like, "We're friends." Like, no, I never got the 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 feeling that they were ever friends. At least, like, well, I mean, I, I agree with you, but I'll say two things. One, I think part of that is just Ang. Like Ang is friends with everyone. Like that's Ang. Like I think that that's just like quintessential Ang's character. But on the other side, I don't actually think that that really played into to um, into Jets like turning back over. I think that's just Ang trying to like plead with him. But I don't think that had any effect. I really think it's very clearly like just like the the trigger of. You're a freedom fighter. Where at, where it's like it, it brings up all these memories. I I don't think the friendship element has anything to do with it at all, honestly. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with Mark on this one, um, especially because he's been uh, in theory he's been with uh, Smaller being long shot like this entire time that they've been bossing say, other than the period of time where they took him to the lake to get brainwashed and nothing happened until now. And those who have been trying to actively avoid, right, um, that part of their lives, you know, we hear um, about a few episodes ago when um, Jet is trailing Hiro and Zuko uh, from Samarby and Longshot that, you know, they just want to be normal people now. They don't want to think about that part of their lives anymore. So they're not going to bring it up and I mean, I think that you know their friendship would mean more to Jet than 
Aang and Katara's who they did not part on good terms with. So it's like, yeah, it's definitely the Freedom Fighter stuff. They're always being reminded of, you know, the shit that had happened to them, to him, to them, you know, mm-hmm. their childhoods. How old is she again? We know. Uh, probably like 17 would be my guess. Yeah, okay, so then childhood trauma is what, I mean, makes more sense to attribute to me also. Yeah. So, one major debate within the, within the Avatar community is the quote-unquote ambiguous nature of if Jet, Jet died or not. And... I've never understood this. I thought it was very obvious and very clear that Jet was dead. And, like, I, all right, they weren't going to show the straight-up death on screen. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait for another series for that to happen. But I, I never thought it was, like, remotely ambiguous. I always thought it was very, was totally clear. Do you guys disagree? I'm, I'm curious how you, what do you guys think? No, I, th- I think it was clear he died. Uh, I mean, I think it was pretty, I can see why people would have been uncertain, but I I had always assumed that he had died, so I guess... the way I put it is, like, I feel like if the only reason it, it comes across as ambiguous is people are like, well, they wouldn't have killed someone in the kids' show. But, like, I feel like if you take that element out of it, it's like, like the the line from Toph, like, I, you know, I'll be fine. And Toph's like, he's lying. Like, yeah, he's not going to be fine. Like, it's pretty, it seems pretty clear here. I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, I'm just, it's one of those things that, like, obviously, like, the you know, the fandom reacted to the point where, like, they make this joke again later in... Um, Ember Island players were like, did Jet just die? You know, it was really unclear. And I'm like, I've never felt like it was unclear. I always felt like it was just like, yeah, he died. If they, but. if he wasn't dead, I, I, he would have shown up at another point in time, and he never does, so. I mean, no, I mean, well, they, they've confirmed that. that he is in fact dead. Like, we know he's, like, they've confirmed, like, they confirmed after the fact that he's dead. I'm just saying, like, I don't, this isn't even one of those, like, oh, they confirmed something that was, like, could have gone either way. I, I if, if he had shown up again, I would have been like, that doesn't make any sense. He definitely died. Um, I guess, like... Alright. No, if you wanna... If, if I wanted... If you wanted to play Devil's Advocate, you could say, well... Just because he was lying about going to be fine doesn't necessarily mean that... Um, doesn't necessarily mean that he would have died. Right, there's I mean, always a possibility I... that they decided, just like with Judy, that, you know, this round of brainwashing didn't take, fine, let's run it back, do it again. Run it back again. Yeah. That, that's fine, that's fair, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it, I guess, I mean, it, obviously it's not like, it's not 100%, I mean, I guess if you want to, but it, feel, it felt to me like, like 85, 90% he was dead, which isn't really ambiguous to me. It just, you know, all right, maybe there's some opportunity, but I don't know. I, I always just, it's just one of those things I've always been like a little bit like, I feel like the fandom is just like very, I don't know, feels confused to oh, me. Oh yeah, no, no, I agree. Like from from the way those lines are delivered and from Kassar's reaction, it's, 
I think the implication's pretty clear, but, like, the devil's advocate argument would be that, you know, there could have been... We don't know what happens after the scene closes. The Daily could have done yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. So, I guess we can... Since we've never actually had a, a real... I guess we have had a character death before, but um, we can kind of jet as a kind of retrospective here. Corey, you actually like him as a character, so I'll give you the floor. What, why don't you say a few words for Jet? I liked him in the complete beginning where he was like... Uh, like a narcissistic manipulative like freedom fighter that was really willing to do whatever he had to do because it just made sense to me as a character and then like him and like his cronies became more of like reoccurring like comic-ish relief that were just like there and they like again like they uh, they really like keep losing momentum and air was kept getting brought out for me pretty much up until this point and then I again like I really did like the scene where like when the Freedom Fighters were mentioned, that was, like, a, a spark of passion right there, and you saw flashbacks of his movement, and, like, that's the jet I liked the most, the one that had a traumatic experience with the Fire Nation at a young age, was scarred, it turned into anger, and then he was just willing to do a scorched earth, whatever it takes strategy, and that was, like, my favorite version of him, and, like, I don't I don't think we ever reached that point again. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're right. I mean, I think you can, you can argue, like, his sort of treatment of Iroh and Zuko was, you know, kind of them going close to it. But it had, that, that was always kind of weird because of the fact that, like, we know that Jet is right, but at the same time, we're starting to root for Iroh and Zuko. So it was like that kind of weird catch-22 on that. Um, speaking of someone who doesn't, who really does not like the episode Jet and, and kind of does not like Jet as a person particularly much, and, you know, I, I don't want to go on a rant about, you know, that episode because, you know, if you really want to hear it, go listen, you know, go back and listen to 110, whatever. But... I think that it, for for the resolution to his character, at least through his arc in book two, you know, from his appearance on on the ferry and then his fight with with Zuko and Iroh and then this, I think that it is it's interesting because on one hand you can definitely see like there is a change where you know I, I think that at the end you can probably tell that like he probably does consider uh, Aang and 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 Katara and them as friends. Um, and I do think that he has gone through some kind of a change, but at the same time, you can almost look at it like the other way where like the thing that breaks him out of the brainwash is bringing back up all the memories that turned him into a sociopath in the first place. I think it's kind of an interesting thing to think about that. Like you, the thing that like, it wasn't like, because, especially because I do disagree with like the idea of like, Oh, it was friendship that brought him out. It's all, it's almost like they, they needed jet to become the sociopath again like they needed him to become that scorched earth super passionate whatever it takes kind of guy um and bring those feelings back up to the surface so i think that's inter- like just kind of an interesting like like from a character arc perspective yeah he i think he has a, a good ending like it, it, i think everything ended up coming full circle by the time he died and i do appreciate it mm-hmm. it's kind of so, a, it's kind of a mm-hmm. You 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 um you like the fact that he dies here. You know me. Yeah. Yes. I I think I think there's no more story you could tell with Jet, and it's obvious. I don't think the writers cared about him that much by this point. I think like he was just like. Well, what I mean is. Keep in mind, this is one of the only characters who gets a legitimate like. I mean, not just non-screen death, but like. 
it's kind of a big deal. Like, I, I think, I don't think that you're, I, I think that they actually did. I think that they really thought that this, this was a, like the idea of like, they wanted to put something in here to really like put a button on what this, what this whole thing was and like how far, A, how far along Fang and the Dai Li are willing to go and B, like what was, what's actually happening. That being said, I don't, I don't know if Fang and them treat the fact that someone, their theoretical, one of their allies died next to them. I don't, I don't necessarily know if they give that enough, like, play. I think we can, I don't know, I guess we can talk about that next week. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I I would have liked, I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, full circle stories, or, um character arcs where you almost like where if you end at the beginning you you take all elements and you really end at the beginning if that makes sense either that yeah. or like you know the completed transformation which is also interesting um so Zuk, like if you think about zuko's character arc by the time he is finished developing he is basically issued you know all all almost all of his past beliefs um, about his family, about his father, about what the you know the Fire Nation's place in the world, as it were. Um, and it's at you know at that point that he he has this moment of over against Azul overcoming his past, and you know not doing it alone is also symbolic. But for Jet, it's like if they wanted to say that Jet was most Jet-like. As you know, as this freedom fighter, as this person who doesn't really care about others around him, wouldn't that have? I mean, to me, it would have been more symbolic had he gone down or had he, you know, faced his end against something less like. I, there's not really a good place for it, but I guess against the Fire Nation again. That makes sense. But would do you think that you could make a real argument that? For a for a freedom fighter, the fighting against the restraints of the Dai Li is not that different. But I understand what you're saying. That that yeah, like Jets, like his the thing that the thing that gets him started is battling the Fire Nation, and like we even actually find out in the episode it was the Rough Rhino, so to speak. So like having Jet like almost go down in a blaze with the Fire Nation itself, like. You know, I, I could definitely see a, a version of, of his story where the ending is, like, him, like, going down, like, almost, like, sacrificing himself to, like, win a, to win a victory against the Fire Nation. Um, like, you know, like, he carries the, you know, he carries the bomb into the, into the Fire Nation camp or something. I don't know. Um, but I think that, I mean, I guess, I guess that it brings up the more kind of the pressing question. Do you think Jet changed? Do you think the jet we see back in, you know, the first episode where he is, you know, very clearly this, you know, ex- you know, absolute ex- extremist to where we see when he is, you know, he is uh, hit with Long- by Longfang's, you know, earth. Do you think that he has actually gone through a change? I think he, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, I think he just went full circle more so than he is a new person. Uh, wait, what? In other words, yeah, I think Corey means that he changes somewhat, but at his deathbed, he's, like, the same as we're introduced to him as, right? 
Okay, yeah. so you're saying he, his his change is a full okay his change okay that's that what makes I mean, sense that's, that's what I mean. yeah because I, I would because I, I would in fact agree with that. I mean, in yeah, I'd also say that, but and then I get the point about the freedom fighters being, but we don't really see a lot of that actually being the case. Like everything we see about Jet, almost all the actions he takes are about like either a. Um, anti-fire nation or be like directly benefiting himself mm-hmm. i've never seen this guy fight for freedom <laughs> no no i think i i think you're right and i think that you know if if jet was a more major character to where i felt like where he was like his arc was like fundamental to the show i think that you could make a real argument that it is a little bit disappointing that like the anti-fire nation extremist essentially dies like in an earth kingdom you know, I don't even know what to call it. Like, you know, it it definitely is a little bit like like anticlimactic um, on that on that front. So I, I, I definitely oh, understand what you're yeah. saying. I, I see what you're saying too, because it would have been nice for someone like him to like go out in a bang, like taking out Fire Nation people instead of yeah, the right. Earth King. Yeah, like I, yeah. that makes no, I, sense. Yeah, thinking thinking through, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I, and look, I, I'm not. It's not like I think Jet's character arc is particularly great, so I'm not. So I, I'm not really. It's not like I'm going to defend it all that much. I, I think I think you're right. I think that you could make a real case that Jet should have should have got. This is not the way Jet should have gone out. Um, but I guess I, I guess kind of unfortunately, I, I don't I don't know if there is a character who would have who could have fit here. I mean, I guess I guess Suki could have, but that would you'd have to change so much about the show. So. To go on to the uh, Zuko Iro stuff because I know that's like the one part we haven't really mentioned yet. Like I think that's probably the best stuff in this episode. And like Which Mark, Zuko Iro stuff, where Zuko walks in. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Iro walks in on Zuko. The map. Did we already have this discussion? I think we no, went we over can... it, um, like the generals. But if you want to go into depth, yeah. I mean, if there's more you want to talk about, that's fine. Did, did you get? Did you get like we were talking about Star Wars? Did you get like an Anakin Obi Wan vibe whenever when he was getting lectured by him? Uh, I wouldn't say so much an Anakin Obi Wan vibe because Iroh. I, 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 all right. I don't. I, I don't want to turn this into into Corey's wrong about the prequels because I could. But <laughs> the thing is, I I think that the reason I don't is because I think that the. The problem with Iroh, with Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship is that Anakin sees Obi-Wan in kind of a paternal, like, kind of father-son type thing. While I think Obi-Wan sees Anakin more as a brother and kind of more as equals. Well, I think that there's no, no one, neither Iroh nor Zuko would confuse them as, like, equals in terms of, like, brothers i think that very obviously it's a father fatherly relationship so i i don't think so i i think that i mean obviously you can kind of see it in any like mentor mentee relationship i mean you know dumbledore harry whatever you know there's 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 plenty of them but i I wouldn't go i mean you could i I think that if you want to go with the star wars it's more obi-wan luke than it it would be obi-wan anakin but luke but the problem is Luke is not actually bad. Luke's good, so I don't know. It's, it's, funny, it's hard. I'm talking about also the blocking of the scene too, with like Zuko's back turned to him, and like 
It's like one of those crossroad moments. Yeah, that's fair. Like the entire blocking of that entire scene really gave me that like vibe, and maybe that's because I just watched too much Star Wars. But I'm not. I think this came out like one year after Revenge of the Sith did. But I'm not saying there's any inspiration there, but just their relationship and like this crossroad part right here was it reminded me a lot of it when I was watching it this time around. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I mean, and obviously we know like we know how much Mike and Brian love Star Wars, so I'm like I don't think you're necessarily completely wrong. And maybe I'm partially just like I don't want to compare Iroh and Zuko, the most one of the more amazing relationships on television, to like you know anything that has to do with the prequels because. Um, you know my feelings on that you and I have some Um, (laughs) especially things that have to do with Anakin but I don't know I just I'm not I'm not 100% sold on that I I think that uh, Iroh and Zuko are kind of their own in their own right so last but not least we have the actual ending of the episode when they Aang and Aang and the gang get out get out of the um Tiley headquarters, they, they're they cornered, and lo and behold, Appa flies in. And I have to say, I for me, my I think my favorite line in the episode, actually, and like especially line delivery, deliver, delivery is Aang uh, hugging Appa and just with tears saying, I missed you, buddy. And I think that, like, it's it's small, it's very, like, it, it's quick, but it, it does get to the emotion that you can tell Aang is feeling and, and how, like, you know, he's finally reunited with, with you know, such an important part of his life. Um, and on top of that, I'd say, I think that as a fandom, we can all be like, we missed you too, buddy. We missed, we missed Appa as well. I actually thought it was very underwhelming. The way Aang reacted when he first saw Appa fly in, his eyes, like, widened. He's like, Appa! And it reminds me of just, like, how Aang would react if Appa just normally flew in and saved the day, like in a normal episode where they weren't separated for like X amount of episodes, I, I think they missed such a ball to just have like an emotional, like, like really hit home out, like Aang literally crying, embracing him moment. I think it was just like well, he does, he does cry and embrace him. But I, 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 I felt it felt. I think the battle took away from it, and just like the circumstance around it took away from it. That's fair, and I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but I like the subtlety of it. I like that it's it's a pretty subtle, it, it's a subtle moment, and partially because I think that it, it, it is it's important to kind of look at it as a comparison to Aang, the way Aang was sort of early on in this process with how, like, he was just so emotionally, like, so emotionally charged and... He finds out Appa's gone. He, he completely loses it um, 100%. And I think that on some level, Appa is a calming influence on Aang. And I think that it almost it almost makes sense to me that Appa returning would almost have a more like muted and subtle effect as opposed to sort of the crazy kind of exuberance because it's almost like Appa, like Appa actually makes him feel more safe and more calm. I like that interpretation, especially since Appa and Momo are the only things. Appa's the only thing left over from Aang's actual childhood. Yeah, I, I really like the interpretation. That's it feels I, especially because it feels like I mean, we, do we we never see Aang lose his cool to the point that he 
like slams his glider on the ground. Like that's not something we ever see from him except when Appa is missing. And I almost feel like that, like Appa leave, like Appa not being there, just like it, it takes away Aang's, like Aang's character completely. Like it changes everything about his personality. And I think that like him returning is 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 kind of the you see, you're going to see a more immediate effect. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that, like, if they had gone with what you're saying, Corey, I don't think it necessarily would have been bad. I, like, I'm, I'd be totally fine with that. I just, at least that's, this is at least the way I kind of choose to to interpret it. Interpret it. I, I, I wanted, and again, it's, when I say wanted, if I were to write it myself, I would have had it been more of, like, a muted, quiet, like, like, Wait, he's in the city? Oh, like, he's behind. Like, they, they make finally make to him something, and, like, giant doors open up, and, like, he's there, and he, like, runs at him, and, like, Appa leaps on him, and his, like, music, emotional music is playing, and it's just happy. There's no, like, battle. There's no other plot other than they're reunited, and then that's it. Like, wipe your hands I, clean. I can agree with you on the sort of it being its own thing standalone. I don't know if I would have... I think that if you went to... You could go too far with that quickly with, like... You know, music swells and it's up. I, I think that you can almost like. I think that that's it's very easy to undercut the emotion of that with that, like where it almost becomes like too over the top. I mean, there is a way to do it, and I I, I can envision the scene that you're like sort of looking at, but I feel like there is a there's a lot of risk there if that makes sense. I mean, I, th- I don't I don't I disagree. I think it's probably again it's another television trope where it's actually one of the easiest things you can write especially you know i mean that no i i think it's the opposite i, I think that it, it 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 becomes so easy to like go to go turn it up to 11 and i i don't think that this moment should have been at 11 i can agree with you that maybe the moment in in the episode itself was like at a four and you would have wanted it to be at an eight but i don't know if it, we needed to go all the way up and that's not a rating that's like a that's the expression turning it up to 11. I forget how they um, how they wrote these episodes, whether they, they were like done in block and then just produced week by, you know, every once in a while, or if it was like actually did it almost in a serial, serialized manner where they actually had to uh, script almost on a week or weekly or monthly basis. I, I think that they wrote the majority of this season planned out and then had it animated, but I'm not... Don't quote me on that. Because if... uh, I think with time, uh, the way Corey described that scene could have been executed well, but if I I had to put something together that emotionally, like, strong with a week's notice, I'd... (laughs) It'd be be pretty fucking hard. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact writing process on this one, so I can't really say one way or the other. All right, so with that, we are going to come to the end of this episode. So first and foremost, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you to Corey and Charles for being on the panel. Um, as I said at the start, to check out uh, all our fabulous content at Thoughts From Woo. Um, I really, we're, we're, I'm really going to try and get this YouTube, um, channel up and going and, and really start with this long form content, um, that I, I think will be really cool. So if that's what you're interested in, please, uh, please check that out. Um, 
And without further ado, let's get into our ratings for this episode. So, uh, Charles, why don't you, you kick things off? Final thoughts and ratings for Lake Lao Guy. I mean, I, I have to go back to my comment at the start, right? Like, there are moments, there are specific scenes, and we talked a lot about some of them, um, that are really, like, potent in this episode. And then there are moments that they're just not. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. it's like, um, I think... Mark, what you said at the beginning about the two halves, you could split the episode almost into two halves. One which is like really a high pace, high tension with a lot more uh, action and other things behind it. And the other one is like more almost like background or almost pseudo filler. Like, get. And then you've got a lot more comedic moments on that side. I, I think Avatar's strongest episodes have blends pretty much strictly one or the other rather than the ones that try for both we may have made a mm-hmm. similar comment back in book one about um the uh fuck the um the the one where ang gets captured by the un archers like uh blue spirit yeah blue spirit yeah because Similar to that, you could either have went full, you know, full force with the comedic portion. For that, it was like the um, the frogs bit and the crazy lady in the mountain. Here, like, I I think you could have made a pretty solid just filler media episode just about the front part uh, with just the tea shop and about random misadventures while looking while distributing the flyers and looking for Appa. But anyway. Um, that aside, the the individual moments, especially in the second half with um, Aaron Tsuko, with Jet's, I guess, double betrayal, and then his recollection of his memories with Appa's, well, the finale with Appa's return, and then um, all kind of somber on Appa's back with Tsuko finally uh, letting the mask go into the waters of the lake. Those are all... I don't know, those are all really good scenes. <laughs> so it's like... Uh, I'll give the episode an 8.6, let's say. Um, it might deserve more, but... I, I just wasn't like as satisfied with this episode as, say... Um, Serpent's Past, for example, or... Even some of the other recent episodes we've had, or... Even some of the clip sh- show um, portions we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Corey, how about you? Um, yeah, I mean, the more, I, again, I talk through the episode, the more I actually do like it. Uh, as always, Iro Zuko stuff brings any episode up by, by, like, three points on its own, just by, like, existing, and their stuff in this episode was pretty exceptional. Um, I... As I told you, I, I like Jet less and less and less, and then at the end, he, like, redeemed himself for me, and even though, like, talking it through with you guys, it would be nice if he had, like, a nice final stand with some Fire Nation folks. He had a, a pretty nice end that brought him full circle to at least where he was when I first got introduced to him. Um, I am not the biggest fan of brainwashing plot. Like, you know, it's something that, like, I take with a grain of salt, but... It is interesting, and I'm, you know, I'm glad it's over. And Mark, as you said, it's nice to know that the Appa stuff is wrapped up. 
Um, this is definitely an above average episode. Um, nothing special, but definitely entertaining, worth watching, and you know, pretty important just you know to bring a lot of parts of book two full circle so you can move forward on all this stuff. So with all that said, I, I give this episode a seven point five. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I'm in a pretty similar place to both of you guys. I, this episode is like there's there is a lot to like in this episode. Um, to be honest, we didn't really touch on the a lot of the negatives. Um, if I'm honest, I mean I, I think that, but I think this is a good episode where I don't I don't think there's any like anything negative in terms of like a plot itself or like the execution. It's just I don't love the pacing. I think that the first half of the episode is a little slow and is a little like I don't I don't, I don't a little meandering. Um, and it does feel like they kind of just like happen upon Jet, which I know is kind of by design because they, you know, Longfang literally like sends Jet in to kind of like stumble upon them. So it, it makes sense. But I just think that like the episode does feel a little bit meandering because of that. Um, overall, I'm, I'm really glad we're done with the missing Appa plot. I think that we're, we're into a really interesting place now. And, and, and obviously the end of this season is, is really, really good. So, uh, definitely, definitely glad to be getting into Earth King and then Guru and Crossroads. Um, I think the episode is fine. I think it's, you know, I remember it a little bit better than it was. I think that, like, as a kid, I was a little bit more enthralled by the, the brainwashing and sort of deep state elements to the to the, the show. And, and, you know, maybe those were not quite as amazing as, as maybe I remember, but still very good. So I'm going to give this a 7.2 out of 10. So still, you know, solidly, solidly in the, in the very good category, uh, but maybe not quite as good as uh, some of the episodes that are kind of in the middle of, of uh, book two and what I what I imagine is going to be some of the episodes to come. So we'll be back next week with uh, episode 18, The Earth King. Uh, so look forward to that. And uh, without further ado, follow us on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at uh, AuntWu underscore pod. And you can follow me at Stack, S-T-A-C underscore mode. Uh, you can follow Corey on Twitter at Grand Moff Curry. Um, and uh, you can find links for all of that in the description. Um, of this in SoundCloud or in Stitcher or in Apple Podcasts. So uh, check that out, and we will see you guys soon.